0: Stay informed and up to date. It's the Daily Maverick Show,
1: Tuesdays
2: 1 to 2 p.m. on com. You're listening to the Daily Maverick Show. My name's Greg Nicholson, filling in for Kingsley Kapuri, who's away again this week. I'm joined by our my colleague, Fatima Matiba. How are you doing, Fatima?
3: I'm good, and you, Greg?
2: So you went to the EFF second anniversary conference this weekend. How was it?
3: Uh, It was really interesting. It was the first rally that I've ever been to. Mm Mm-hmm. Um yeah so a lot of interesting things a lot of new things that I learned about the EFF and rallies in general
2: a lot of singing a lot of dancing yeah. a lot of drinking
3: a lot of a lot of drinking a lot of courts in paper bags that was interesting courts <laughs> <Quartz>, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> did you partake
3: uh i did not i don't <laughs> drink so i couldn't be part of those festivities
2: Okay, today we're going to be talking to uh, Mario Masuku, who's the leader of the Swaziland political party, the banned political party, Podemo, um, about his recent release from um, jail after spending a year in a Swazi prison. After that, we're going to get into some issues on initiation schools. For Tim, you've been looking at this a little bit, where where we've seen in recent years throughout the initiation seasons... Young boys both facing death and also facing, um, um, amputation of their penises, um, after going through, uh, I guess you'd say dodgy circumcision practices. So that's going to be c- coming up in, in a, about the second half of the show. But first of all, we're going to be speaking to, in a moment, to Mario Masuku, the uh, Swazi political leader of the opposition party who They've been quite strident in opposing King Swati the third's, uh, regime. And he was recently in prison with, with another Swazi activist, the youth leader, um, Maxwell, Maxwell Dlamini. That's right. Maxwell Dlamini. And I think they're on charges of, well, what was it? Uh, terrorism, sedition and subversion against the Swazi state, largely just for, uh, their pro democracy sort of statements and speaking out um against kingdom swati's leadership and so in a moment we'll get him on the line um before we might actually come back to the eff a little bit and it's one of those interesting things isn't it that we've that we've seen recently oh so do we have mario on the line mario are you with us
1: hello how are you
2: good thanks good thanks mario thanks for for joining us today First of all, can you just tell us a little bit about your release from from prison a month ago? Can you tell us a little bit about the charges against you, um, and and the fight you've had against that system?
1: Thank you, uh, Craig. Um, from uh, since nineteen the nineteen eighties, I have been part of the people that are calling for a democratization of Swaziland. Against um, a regime that does not recognize political party and indeed it is based on absolutism. I, uh, we have had people, including myself, been uh, charged for high treason, uh, sedition and so forth. Lately in 2008, there was an act put into place called the Suppression of Terrorism Act. I was charged under that in 2008 and I was acquitted in 2009. But this time, in 2014, while I was addressing the May Day, workers on the May Day, I was mm-hmm. charged under the same Suppression of Terrorism Act um, and seditious activities. Um, I have been there uh, for the past 14 months and released on the 14th. Yes, um, I knew that uh, prison is not a five-star uh, uh, comfort place, but uh, prison uh, prisons in Switzerland are very, very, very um, uncomfortable for the people. They're still a little bit backward. Um, <clears throat> I was, I had been while there, we have been trying to get our bail uh, to be released on pay, But the state continued to say we are a risk, we are a security risk, we are a flight risk, and so forth. But this time, uh, I believe that the pressure within Swaziland and from outside of Swaziland, in particular from our friends, uh, uh, the alliance partners in South Africa and Europe and America, have pushed the regime to ensure that we come out on, out of on bail, out of prison on bail. However, uh, briefly, it is that I feel that uh, our task is still incomplete. My coming out of bail does not mean that uh, the suppression of the freedom of expression, association and assembly will go away. We will continue fighting on. Coming out to be here, I still feel I'm just like a free bed in a cage. Mm -hmm. Uh, The struggle goes on. But I'm grateful to all comrades and people who have been in solidarity with our cause in Mm Swaziland.
2: Now, can you just take us back to that May Day rally? What did you say that that brought on these charges?
1: Well, I did say that... uh, uh, the kind of government which is the Tinkunla government uh, system in Southland, is undemocratic and will never and it will not deliver the wishes of the people. And I did also say that uh, that the country has lost opportunities like the uh, um, uh, African Growth uh, Opportunities Act that is due to the incompetence Um, of the government of Swaziland and that our working class in Swaziland is so suppressed that the the ILO has placed Swaziland into um, uh, near sanctioned status. It is because of this government. And I did say that it needs uh, an immediate transformation. We need a change in Swaziland. And this is um, of course, I did mention that I'm a member of PUDEMO, the People's United Democratic Movement, which is a banned uh, political party as far as, as South is concerned. Those are the charges that were placed on, on us. Mm-hmm.
2: Now, if you think about the robust uh, level of political debate in South Africa, what you said doesn't seem like much to go to jail for. It sort of says a lot about the Swazi system.
1: Well, um, you see, the problem that we always have is that uh, countries, uh, in particular SEDAC, uh, have always upheld the issue of sovereignty, Mm -hmm. not wanting to interfere with internal issues of any country. But I think uh, in South Africa, I am convinced that there are organizations, there are individuals who know how suppressive such regimes can be, are supportive, and they are in solidarity with our cause. I feel humbled, and I'm definitely sure we will arrive uh, at a place where Swaziland will be regarded as one of, democrat- uh, of uh, civilized countries in the region, the continent, and the world at large. Mm-hmm. But indeed, we are seeking for a, a country governed, by the will of the people, through a multi-party democracy.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, tell us about your your time while you were in prison. You mentioned that it wasn't the conditions weren't five star. What what was it like in there, and what did you learn about the the Swazi prison system?
1: Firstly, I must uh, say that uh, that the prisons uh, are, you know, uh, take side. Uh, I believe that uh, the executive, judiciary, and indeed legislative, are independent arms of any government. But here, the prisons and uh, personnel in there regarded us as uh, enemies. You you know because mm-hmm. you know the the, the everything in Swaziland, all these institutions are placed. Uh, towards uh, the monarchy, which is the executive. For instance, they are called His Majesty's Correctional Services. Really? The police are called the Royal the Royal Swaziland Police, and they are bound to, uh, you know, to to be closer to the uh, to the executive. So, if it is heard that we are saying the government here is undemocratic and it needs changes they see us as enemies of the state. Uh, So that was very difficult for us. Besides that, of course, the conditions that we were sleeping almost on the floor, Mm because it was a mat, uh, we were sleeping on a a mat of about one centimeter in width. Um, uh, The conditions, the windows there could not close and uh, winter did its toil on us. And uh, I... Was not allowed uh, to see uh, a private uh, medical practitioner of my choice. It Mm -hmm. was difficult. My friends were not allowed to see us uh, as they wished to. My legal team, uh, my advocate, senior advocate, and Mary DeForce from South Africa, Mm -hmm. had to stand outside there for over 30 minutes. Uh, to see us only for about 10 minutes, to see us for 10 minutes. You see the intimidation that is there. We were not allowed inside when we are visited by friends to discuss political matters. We, you know, it was, it was so different. We were, we were really found, we were already serving a sentence in there. Uh, it was a difficult, at the last time, When we were in the maximum security cell, we were uh, not allowed uh, to move around. We were locked in in the cells, and we we were using a bucket for ablution. It was so difficult. It was so inhumane. Until such time that we raised the issue, and the international community were responsive to what we were doing, it is it was not right for us political prisoners.
2: Mm-hmm. So, much of, so much of what you say actually reminds me of stories of apartheid political prisoners, and it makes me wonder, did you get in, interrogated a lot? Did you ever get tortured while in prison?
1: No, not physically. We were not physically tortured. tortured. But the way we were treated, we were... Uh, In isolation, and whatever we did, prisoners in there were told never to speak to us, not to communicate with us. Our ways were such, when we went to, to the courts to uh, for anything, whether I went for hospital or to the courts, uh, there was always armed security uh, with all the glares and all the noise, you know, intimidating the public. To to know that these are dangerous people, uh, I think there is no uh, less torture than that.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, looking forward, what what is next for the pro d- uh, pro democracy movement in Swaziland? Because it seems like the pro democracy movement continues to stand up to Swati's uh, governance and rule, and continues to fight for multi party democracy and and the rights for freedom. But it seems that it's hard to quantify the gains that that have been achieved. I know every April we see the the Global Week of Action uh, on Swaziland, yes. and and every time it seems like the police crack down on them. What what needs to happen next for for to promote democracy firstly, in Swaziland?
1: Firstly, Greg, I think uh, it must be noted that uh, the, uh, um, we will not claim. Easy victories. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, there are issues or marks that show that there have been some victories in this long battle. Firstly, it is the People's United Democratic Movement, Kudema, in 1992, who called for a constitution, a constitutional dispensation in Swaziland. Although the 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 process of forming the con- the constitution was too flawed, but there is a constitution, mm-hmm. so that is a gain. Um, that uh, we spoke, the people of Swaziland spoke loudly about uh, uh, the loosening of the chains of the workers and federations, and so forth, uh, it has uh, gained some benefits, as you know now. Uh, we now have a federation called the Trade Union Congress of Swaziland to Koswa, mm-hmm. which was deregistered at some time by the regime. So there are some gains. It is us that have been calling for uh, uh, a democratic dispensa- dispensation And uh, the government is doing reforms. Reforms, but those are just cosmetic. However, moving forward, we believe that people must understand in as much as monarchies are undemocratic. I will not talk about an absolute monarchy for that matter. Mm -hmm. Monarchies normally are undemocratic. We are prepared to go further as a united uh, political party, moving forward towards a negotiated settlement, uh, we are not for any violence. Even though the regime's security forces respond by violence and more violence, that would be the last for us. We are prepared to say what we, what the people of Swaziland want. We want a proper transformation, total transformation. And economy, that is for the people. Culture, that is for the people. We do. It is not that uh, we want to throw everything away. And therefore, we are ready to discuss, go to a dialogue with anybody who is a real patriot of Mm Swaziland for a free and democratic
2: hundred of hours. Mm. But, but speaking of a nego- negotiated settlement, is there any chance of that while we have Budemo bands to Koswa deregistered?
1: Any negotiated settlement is pre-determined by the will of all uh, the people and organisations concerned. And therefore, I believe if we are going to discuss any negotiated settlement the first thing that needs to be done is to unbend political parties mm-hmm. secondly is to review all undemocratic laws and uh, then everyone should uh, you know come forward and agree and be ready for the negotiation mm-hmm. no negotiations can be successful when some when when the table is not uh, 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 free and uh, uh, conducive for a political dialogue.
2: Mm-hmm. Now here in Johannesburg, we have we have different groups that definitely show quite a lot of support for Swaziland's pro-democracy movement, but. You mentioned earlier before that in the SADC region, most governments have, have decided to respect the sovereignty of, of different nations and, and Swaziland's own, own ability to, to make up and determine its own future. Would you call on the South African government or other governments to, to take a stronger stance on Swaziland?
1: See, I, I should think uh, the South African government in particular has learned many lessons the first lesson that the South African government has learned is through its own experience. (laughs) You know, for South Africa to be democratic, it called on for the region, it called on the continent and the international community to, uh, you know, to call on the apartheid regime to acknowledge that uh, change has to come. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't believe that uh, South Africa and the Sadak region has not learned clearly from the Burundi massacre of people there. We are not, again, uh, uh, ready to see blood flowing in any country, in any country of this world, let alone in Sadak. I, therefore, believe that uh, South Africa, as a neighbor, uh, must be ready and must be seen to be um, assisting a catalyst towards a democratic uh, dispensation in Swaziland. If some people don't understand what we are seeking for, I think the door is open for a, for, for for anybody to you know to raise questions, and uh, we are prepared to answer that. We are actually seeking. For assistance within any country and any organization within SADAC to ensure that the democratization of Swaziland is as peaceful as everybody wants it to be. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Now we've seen different governments and, and states across the world seemingly um, accepting uh, states such as Rwanda and Ethiopia where there still aren't certain freedoms and, and, and the have the governments there have quite a very strong hand and, and especially against the opposition, but governments around the world seem to accept this while, while these states are able to develop the, the living standards of their countries. But in Swaziland, it doesn't seem like there is the same level of development. What, what sort of conditions are the Swazi people facing at the moment?
1: Well, uh, uh, firstly, I think the approach The perspective from which uh, the international community views a peaceful, uh, stable um, uh, country or state. I don't, you know, agree with that. Because if somebody says that uh, a country is stable, the economy is growing, uh, there is no war, uh, that is not uh, a sign of peace mm-hmm. people there could be no war in a country but they will, you will find that there is no peace people are being suppressed because they are not allowed to express themselves freely mm-hmm. and therefore I believe that uh, economic freedom alone is not the answer for peace in a country and political freedom alone is not the answer for peace in a country. It is jointly politics, uh, politics, and economy, and the social social stability of a country cannot be separated. And uh, that may be so in those countries. I know Ethiopia is one of the most improving in terms of the, the economy, but people are poor. People are living uh, Ethiopia, and the uh, running away to uh, escaping to um, uh, to europe why is it so mm. it is because the poverty in that country uh, the economy in that in that country is not you know equated accordingly there are obviously very rich people and very poor people indeed even in swaziland swaziland is regarded as a middle income country but uh, you know that uh, sixty about 68% of the people of Swaziland live below the, the, the UN uh, uh, poverty data. Mm-hmm. And um, indeed, that does not mean that people in Swaziland are therefore, are therefore happy because they are not as poor as some people in some other places. We believe that... The economy of Swaziland must be shared accordingly to all the people of Swaziland. We believe that Swaziland belongs to all the people of Swaziland, as it is now. The share of the economy, of the wealth of Swaziland, is too lopsided. Most of the people who are nearer to the royal household are more uh, wealthier than others, people in the rural areas are very poor. There are people who have had it, who haven't had a meal in the last three days in Swaziland. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, people in the royalty are very uh, affluent, and therefore, I believe that uh, you know because of the suppression of the views of the people, people are not uh, as yet ready to. Voice vociferously come up to say they can they change. Mm-hmm. But that does not mean that people of Switzerland are happy. Mm. I was talking about uh, the European Union as against the um, Cotonou Agreement, for instance. The Cotonou Agreement states it clearly, clearly that the partnership of the European Commission with the African-Caribbean states is based on the respect for fundamental human rights and democracy. And, uh, you know, that because there is no instability in the country does not mean the country is free Mm. and peaceful.
2: Now, Mario, I just wanted to ask you our final question before we let you go. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about your bail conditions? I, I notice, I, I, think I've read that <laughs> if you, if you do speak out, you might be arrested again, but I've seen that you've, <laughs> you've addressed a church group already, and obviously you're speaking to us here now.
1: Yeah. Um, the issue is that in Southern, uh, uh, the bail conditions are that uh, we may not address public gatherings. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to submit, our travel, all our travel documents and passport, we have to report to the nearest police station uh, once uh, a month. Now, uh, you you know very well that uh, uh, um, that if we do not, if if we abide by uh, the condition that we do not address any public gathering. That is a questionable thing. But uh, as of now, that is being addressed by our legal department. However, what is a public gathering? What is an address? Mm -hmm. Uh, That has to be determined by a court. But surely, if I meet... Twenty members of my family and I had te- and I tell them how my prison experience has been. Uh, definitely, that means I would be arrested because that is a public. Mm. Is that a public or is it a private private uh, uh, gathering? It is up to the courts to declare. But I am saying that is in the hands of our legal team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, uh, anybody who uh, uh, who looks in this, it means we are now going back years, years and years back where the suppression of uh, freedom of expression, freedom of association and so forth is being now embedded and confirmed by a court of law. But again, it must be clear uh, that uh, contravention uh, of the condition, then you are subject to to
2: arrest charged mm-hmm. judge for contempt of court. Mm-hmm. Mario, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you very much. That's Mario Masuku, the leader of PUDEMO, the Swaziland's uh, banned opposition party. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: You are welcome, sir. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Take care. You're listening to Daily Maverick. My name is Greg, and I'm joined by my colleague Fatima. Um, I think, I think in a second we're going to turn to looking at initiation practices. Oh, okay, and we've got Nkosi uh, Mahlangu from the Nap- National House of Traditional Leaders, the deputy chairperson on the line. Um, Nkosi, are you with us?
0: Yes, I'm with you, and uh, I want to say good day to you.
2: To. Thank you very much for joining us today. And Kossi, over recent years, of course, we have seen the issue of initiation schools, particularly the deaths and injuries that lead to amputations and whatnot, being of of great concern. And I think the issue here is not that... We need to, you know, get rid of initiation schools or anything like that. And actually, I recently read an article that was quite touching where I think it was from the Daily Dispatch in Eastern Cape where, where an old man had finally been able to get his son who has some disabilities. I think he had a 40 year old son uh, with disabilities. He was able to get him through an, in, an initiation school. And the old man now said he can die because he can die happy because his son has finally become a man. He's finally been initiated. And for me, that really touched on the point that it's important to make these initiation schools work and be safe for for the young men going through them. And I just want to ask you today a little bit about coming into this winter initiation season this year, what were some of the key goals and some of the key aims and programs that were were introduced to improve safety?
0: I think what we have done, uh, we share the same sentiments you, that uh, it's a serious concern that uh boys, are living their lives year in, year out. Uh, but I think from 2013, uh, as traditional leaders at the National House and working together with the Department of Traditional Affairs, we've worked very hard to try to to stop the coming, to stop uh, these deaths and also the amputations that go around it. We came up with what we call a 12-point plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, firstly, that 12-point plan, it spoke about the fact that each and every boy that goes to initiation school must go through medical tree screening. Uh, that there should be no boy that is allowed to go without tree screening. We said uh, uh, there must be proper application for running an initiation school where traditional leaders would become accountable for the schools that they've given permission to. There'll be monitoring teams that are going to be established in each and every province, just to make sure that Everybody adheres uh, 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 to the rules that we get the Department of Health involved. We get uh, we come up with an integrated uh, monitoring team that would comprise of the National health Authority, that would have the Department of Health, the municipality, traditional leaders. That would be going uh, to these uh, initiation schools just to make sure that uh, everything is safe. That traditional surgeons should be properly trained and properly registered. Uh, that uh, medical doctors uh, should also be allowed to play a role, especially on the surgical part. And it's been quite a number of improvements. Because if you look back in 2013, we lost 116 boys that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, we were able to, the number was brought down to below, just below 50. And uh, this year, uh, the national figure stands at uh, 33, even though. Our plans was to have zero mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we still had quite a number of uh, illegal schools, uh, despite having come up with a a policy, a national initiation policy, which I think the policy we're all aware that it's a bit difficult to implement a policy because it's not a law. Uh, so, But we've pushed that provinces to implement some of the principles that are there in the policy just to make sure that... Uh, uh, we prevent the deaths of boys and that we clamp down on bogus initiation schools. Of which, Most of these deaths, I think uh, 85% of the deaths that we've seen have happened at illegal uh, initiation schools. And uh, where you find that at, at the legal schools where they may have been uh, casualties, uh, either it was uh, natural causes, if not, there was some case of abuse, where the police have come, in, have come in and they've arrested those that are perpetrators. Mm-hmm. Together with the Deputy Minister, we propose that uh, the Criminal Procedure Act should be amended whilst we are still working on the national framework on initiation, just to make sure that when we reach the December season of initiation, uh, illegal schools are completely uh, criminalized. You know, Anybody that is found to be running an illegal school to be arrested because we saw a uh, serious mass of illegal schools in Kauteng, mainly uh, where we had mm. over 100 mm. uh, uh, illegal initiation schools. In the Eastern Cape, we also had approximately 200 in- illegal initiation schools. So we had quite a number of uh, illegal initiation schools, of which it was a very scary number. Mm-hmm. So now we are saying the law must fight uh, uh, a bit more so that we discourage those that have really. This culture is a way of making money. Mm -hmm. so, so,
2: so, sorry, Nkorsi. Um, so it seems that the screening and monitoring, um, of legal initiation schools has been improved and that's led to, led to a better situation in terms of the health and safety of these boys. But just tell me, so now we're looking at changing the Criminal Procedures Act to, to be able to prosecute, uh, the organizers of illegal and unregistered, um, initiation schools. But what, what, what does the current law entail? Does it mean that, um, people who currently hold illegal initiation schools can't even be prosecuted?
0: Look, it has been very uh, difficult uh, to to prosecute them uh, because provinces. Uh, it's only now that we have we push that each and every province have come up with a uh, with legislation. I think Pumalanga uh, was the first uh, where there is a legislation that uh, uh, has serious implications for those that are running illegal schools. Uh, you've got the Eastern Cape that is currently amending its legislation, of which it did not talk to the, the criminality of illegal schools. Uh, we that the Limpopo uh, Secondary Schools Act also uh, came short of uh, coming up with uh, ways and measures of arresting uh, those that are running illegal schools, even though the Limpopo Act was clear in terms of determining different roles of each and every person that is involved mm-hmm. uh, within initiation. That's why we saw in Limpopo, I think they've been recording zero deaths uh, in many years. Unfortunately, but this year we've had, uh, I think, uh, three people that have died this year. But in Limpopo, it has always been a shining example. But mm-hmm. we've seen uh, those deaths happening at illegal schools, mm-hmm. you know, and they've been doing very well in terms of closing them down. And, but they were closing them down, and people that were perpetrators were, were not arrested. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, in Pumalanga... We have uh, 32 people that are currently uh, going through a court now, where they were arrested because of the death that happened in 2013. You know, so it's only now that we are seeing the law starting to to bite uh, on 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 issue around initiation. I think you'd be aware that even traditional leaders, uh, you know, because of the changing of laws. Uh, and although we still have the traditional court skills that is still before that is still supposed to be enacted now. Mm-hmm. They can't do much, you know, because there's nothing that gives them power to be able to act against those that are people that are that are perpetrators. You know. So the the law has been caught uh where we had people that are taking advantage of 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 the care that we
2: see within the system. Mm-hmm. And and Kossi, are you? Although now we're seeing a reduction in the amount of deaths, and hopefully soon, soon we'll get more prosecutions for those guilty um for illegal initiation schools and for responsibility for these deaths. But are you confident that we can continue this reduction? Will it be a number of years, and and we might even see no deaths in initiation schools? Could that actually happen?
0: Look, I am confident. I have a meeting tomorrow with, initiate, with initiation forums from different provinces where. We are identifying problems because, I mean, the initiation season just ended uh, yesterday, the 27th. So, and already uh, on the 29th, uh, we're having a meeting where we are doing a sort of like a post in terms of what are the challenges, what is it that we can do. So, we are starting to plan now mm-hmm. for next year, you know, uh, just to make sure that by the time uh, the December season and the June and the June, the winter season comes. We are already well set up. We've come up with strategies of how we're going to deal with the bigger schools. And so we are we are working very hard to make sure that uh, uh, we have zero deaths. That's that's my dream. That's uh, the minister's dream within COFTA. And I'm sure it's each and every South African's dream mm-hmm. that, you know, we will have our boys going to education schools, coming back alive. Not only coming back alive, but coming back alive with their manhood, giving mm-hmm. back. So, mm-hmm. In some of these illegal schools, uh, with the post-consumption, people are losing their menus. Mm. You know? and, and it's something that we want to deal with, because I think we have seen uh, where problems are, especially in the Eastern Cape, because it is in the Eastern Cape where you find amputations. You don't find amputations in any other province. So we are starting to, to, to identify some of the problems that are leading...
2: Uh, to these amputations, and of which is what we are trying to mm-hmm. and just just on that, so often we talk about the deaths, but I, but there isn 't often as much focus on these on these boys who um, suffer suffer from complications during the circumcision process and then and then have to go through an amputation. I remember a couple of years ago I interviewed one such boy, and he said. He, when we went, when he went back to, he, he obviously went to the initiation school because he wanted to be a man and that, that was, you know, what was expected of him and that was his hope. But then when he went back to his community after having his, his, um, his manhood, I guess, amputated, he said he suffered from serious isolation within the community and a lot of stigma. I'd imagine that, that process as well leaves a lot of young boys traumatized. Not true.
0: It, it is, uh, true. That's why we are getting uh, traditional leaders involved. We are getting the communities involved. I mean, uh, one of the things that we've identified as a national task uh, was that we've been talking to leaders, mainly, that have not been going down to communities. So now the plan is, that's why we started so early, that we need to get to the communities, address community meetings, get youth structures involved, because it is mainly the youth that is putting pressure uh, on, on some of these uh People that may have not that may have not gone to education schools, and they are also putting pressure to people that have done medical means as uh, circumcision that we need to start addressing them. You know, uh, talking to them, getting involved in uh, you know in in in, in serious campaigns uh, targeted at, at uh, young people because we think they are the ones that are causing problems, mm-hmm. and also within the communities. I mean, if you look at where in 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 the in the uh, our tambo District of the Eastern Cape. I mean, we've lost uh, 20 boys this year just in that area. Yeah. It is because the practice was stopped a long time ago, and it is the young boys that went to initiation schools recently. They are the ones that are running initiation schools, and that is killing a lot of boys because you're finding a lot of inexperienced people that are involved in the practice. And so we've decided that we need to go there, address communities, address these young boys, and start coming up with systems. You know, in those communities, uh, one uh, that would deal with how people relate uh, with one another. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, address the issues uh, of of, um, of of social cohesion mm-hmm. uh, in, in in those areas was it what what impact on, on 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 the stigmatization mm-hmm. uh, that that we are seeing within those uh, communities. So there will be a lot of. Uh, even door-to-door uh, campaigns. There will be a lot of uh, addressing of community meetings and uh, going to soccer tournaments and having young people uh, mm-hmm. you know, that are driven by by, by the national house where there are soccer tournaments after those soccer tournaments where we talk to these boys, mm-hmm. you know, just to you know to 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 make them realize the severity of the problems that they are facing, you know, because I don't think that even if I'm a young boy. I would want to see my brother suffering the way people are suffering. Mm,
2: I don't think you anyone. Know. I don't think anyone wants yeah. to see this suffering continue. And Kossi, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you don't mind if we stay in touch with you on this issue.
0: No, no problem. No problem.
2: Thank you very much. Okay, Thanks very
0: much. Cheers. Okay. Cheers. Bye.
2: That was Nkosi Maslangu from the National House of, House of Traditional Leaders. He's the deputy chairperson there. You're listening to the Daily Maverick Show. My name is Greg, and I'm with my colleague Fatima here. Now, we're going to stick with the issue of uh, initiation schools and, and some of the health challenges facing young boys uh, in the recent winter season. Um, Fatima, it's it's intense stuff, huh? Yes, it is. <laughs> You do do you have any sort of I guess you've grown up around Joburg and things like that you don't know any young men have been through initiation schools and those practices what are your thoughts on that
3: Um I don't know it just seems like um a very tricky issue uh because obviously it's something that a lot of boys want to do to become men and they identify strongly with the practice mm. but at the same time it seems like there's a need for a lot of regulation and there's a lot of issues when it comes to Culture and then introducing outside um, people, outside forces to regulate that practice.
2: Mm, like government regulators, medical doctors, exactly.
3: So and I think a lot of people have an issue with um, bringing in medical doctors into a cultural practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. No, it's just I think the story I mentioned to Nkosi Lango. It's heartbreaking. I think though the the negative effects of when circumcision, um, at initiation schools go wrong. You know, I did a, I, I did a little bit of work on this a couple of years ago and there was a, a doctor actually that put out, he put out the pictures of what happens and the different, um, complications after this period. And so in terms of the circumcision, you need to, you need to make sure the, the, um, Wound, or I guess, I guess what it is, um, is wrapped and things. And many, many of these, um, suppose supposed the traditional healers or, or the the medical practitioners doing this, didn't know how to do that properly. So often they would they would wrap it much, much too tight. Mm. They wouldn't change the dressing frequently enough. For the circumcision practice, they would use um, things like those stories of using the same uh, razor blade for each young boy. Those. There's stories of, of using broken glass for the circumcision practices. Then there are stories as well of just general poor health, health, um, practices, particularly in some of these illegal initiation schools where, so after, after the operation is performed, you know, of, of firstly not dressing and, and caring for the wound properly, then doing things like in the, in the, the tent, if you will, where the boys were staying, um, keeping them there where it was extremely hot, um, not giving them enough water, not giving them sufficient food to recover from these things, mm. and then also putting them through quite a vigorous program of um, maybe toughening up is the best words. Obviously, I'm not using the, the the proper the proper terminology, but I guess quite a you know you know quite quite strict strict practices while while they're at the mountain or or wherever you mm. know so i found those things quite shocking and then this boy who i spoke to had gone through a process of having to have his his penis uh, uh, penis amputated and he mentioned things like and and the story's out there and it's been published he mentioned things like of because the community found this out you know he went through this um through this ordeal and everybody knew about it so they did things you know teasing him that he'll never he'll never be with a woman He'll never be a man in his mm. life. They'll mm. push him into a, a room full of girls and just lock the door and say, you know, or oh, you can't do anything to them. Things like that. So, um, this boy, I think he was also, for a little bit, he was suicidal. Yeah. Um, facing just all these sorts of pressures of the going, going to become a man and then than having his manhood taken away from him and then being ostracized from yeah. his family and the community for that. And it's just, it's just quite shocking. I think some of the interventions um, Kosima was talking about will hopefully regulate that industry and and allow the practice to continue, but to continue safely.
3: Yeah, I'm actually pretty impressed by the statistics that he mentioned, how they've reduced the deaths.
2: Mm. Mm. Okay. Um I think in in a moment we're going to be starting to wrap up, but Fatima, you just want to tell us a little bit about your highlights from the EFF conference on the weekend, you know, hitting it for the first time. How was it? Uh, I Do you have like... a favorite struggle song?
3: <laughs> I don't yet, but I'm I oh, probably... no hear You're singing foot sack and... <laughs> Um Yeah, it was really fun. I think um there's a lot of areas in life where you have to be really professional and put together. And I think for once, you can just say what you want. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really enjoyed about the rally. Um, It's, I think, it's really interesting to see how a party like the EFF has made people more interested in politics in general.
2: Particularly young people.
3: Exactly. I mean, I have never been to a rally. I probably wouldn't have voted if there was an EFF, because I wouldn't have cared. Mm. Um, I watch... Parliament, I watch Parliament now. Um I The know best
2: reality TV out there.
3: It really is. So, yeah, a mm-hmm. lot of highlights.
2: But do you think after, so you obviously they came on the scene with a big bang. It sort of started when Malema initially went to the Americana, um, went to Americana after the massacre, and then he sort of built up his, he was outside the ANC, built up his sort of credibility, and ended up with this big thing called the EFF. And that was just, I think it was like eight months before the election, whirlwind tour, Um, and then since then, they've been causing a stir in parliament, you know, obviously with the Malema's general popularity and with the controversial things he and his, um, fellow fighters are uh, prone to saying. They get a lot of attention. They've had a lot of build up, but do you think that can hold? Do you think, do you think there's still that focus or that people will, ahead of perhaps the next elections, the local elections next year, people will start to lose interest?
3: I think it's important to be controversial in the beginning, to get that attention. Um, I mean, I am pretty interested in what they're doing now. And once you realize that it's not all controversial statements and you start to hear about their policies, maybe that's kind of the hook. Mm. Um, mm. And people will continue to be interested in what the party is doing.
2: Mm-hmm. I think that will be their challenge in terms of, number one, just keeping up the general interest while in in the background – They've had to do a lot of, and they should be doing a lot of, just groundwork in terms of setting up branches, regions, provinces, because that really is the backbone of political party, and they don't have the ANC's history with those structures all across the country that can mobilise for elections. So that's going to be interesting to see coming up to next year's elections, but that's all we have time for today. Thank you to my colleague Fatima Matiba for joining me.
3: It's been a pleasure, Greg.
2: Thank you also to Nkosi Matlangu from the National House of Traditional Leaders, um, Mario Musuku, the, the leader of the Swaziland Political Party, Pudemo, and briefly Patrick Dakwa on the line from the Eastern Cape to talk about initiation practices. Make sure you hit up our Twitter account at DMShowZA and uh, download the podcast and subscribe and share with all your friends. Thanks for listening.
3: Stay
0: informed and up to date. It's the Daily Maverick Show, Tuesdays,
1: 1 to 2 p.m. On cliffcentral.com.